a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listening to Healthy Mind Matters, brought to you by Intermountain Healthcare on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Healthy Mind Matters. I'm Maria Shaleos. Today we are talking about reaching out to Utah's homeless population during the COVID-19 outbreak. I have all the experts with me here today. I'm joined by Van Aston, who is a physician's assistant at the Hope Clinic for the Homeless in Ogden. Dr. Michelle Goldberg, who is the medical director of the 4th Street Clinic here in Salt Lake City. Diane Rindlisbacher, who is the community testing lead for COVID for Intermountain Healthcare. And Terry Faust, who is the community health director. Van, I'd like to go back to you for a moment, have you talk about what are some of your big concerns? We've talked about how you guys are all getting together and uh, your partnership is really aiding in helping the homeless. But you said, Van, that you don't have any people with homeless right now, but what is your concern moving forward in in ensuring that uh, maybe you're not going to see that. I think there's a lot of challenges that that are coming our way that uh, Dr. Goldberg has already seen. um, And what Terry has mentioned also is uh, just kind of the difficulty of, of finding some of these patients and also helping them get to places where they need to be. So if or when we do have a positive, how are we going to manage them? Um, we've been working with the city uh, directly with the Lantern House. We are located inside the Lantern House, and so they've been an essential partner in helping us try and figure out what we're going to do when this does hit the homeless population here in Ogden. So. The biggest concerns are, are some of the things that, that Terry has al- already brought up is uh, where are we going to house these folks once the virus does show up in this population here? How are we going to get their medications to them? Um, it's important to remember that these folks do have underlying health conditions and they still need their uh, daily medications, their inhalers and all the other things that they see us for. Um, and so providing them with the services that they already get while they're quarantined or while they're in a, a location away from the clinic and the shelter is probably one of our biggest challenges. Um, that and you know, making sure they have food to eat while they're being quarantined and other access to services, um, whatever they may need, if that's counseling or mental health. So there's a lot of things that we've been working on behind the scenes. And I think that's one of the uh, one of the neatest things for me to see is how all of these community partners have come together to uh, operate together to make sure that this population is taken care of. And it's something that our general population just doesn't see. They don't know what's going on in the background, but it's happening and we're all working together to make sure we can find solutions to some of the challenges that we're facing. Michelle, it's wonderful that folks can learn from what's happening with you and how you're moving forward. But what what are still some of your greatest challenges and, and how have you been able to deal with something that no one could have foreseen? You know, I think this has kind of been hurdles right along the way. First, it was, do we, you know, we don't have PPE. 
Then it was we don't have test kits. Then it became we don't have transportation for individuals with symptoms to the clinic. Then it went to we don't have a place to isolate and quarantine individuals. Then kind of social distancing became the next thing. And we kind of keep jumping over these hurdles. I think the hurdles that are still out there is that you know, we're really focused as, um, you know, in partnership with everyone to continue to social distance as much as we can. Um, you know, I think as the weather gets warmer, we will see more individuals on um, on the streets, right, unsheltered. Um, and that's definitely an issue. I think, um, you know, there's, there's issues there in sense of if you're the place where you usually use the restroom is now closed, I, you know, there's the outreach members um, through the Department of Health and the VOA are starting to see fecal matter on the sidewalks and on the streets. Um, individual, you know, they usually kind of wander around town and get some food and getting food to them that's appropriate for them is difficult. So if you, you know, get donations from a food bank and give it to them, are you giving them canned food? Do they have food, you know, can openers? Um, so really being able to kind of support those populations um, and keeping some of the camp smaller and then how do you, when you test them, how do you get results to those individuals? So I think really coming up with a plan, you know, there are other, other cities that, you know, set up tents that have porta potties and hand washing stations and can maintain kind of those services a little bit more easily and safely, you know, is something that, you know, might need to be thought about as we move forward into the warmer months and kind of what happens with that population. Um, we're dealing, you know, we aren't able to provide as comprehensive a medical care as is needed for these individuals, right? So we have, like most clinics, we aren't, um, we don't have enough PPE. And so we've had to alter our workflow entirely. We're actually in tents that the Department of Health got us um, in our back parking lot. And so we are trying to provide as comprehensive care for our patients as we can which also includes behavioral health, right? So if we're trying to see somebody who, for behavioral health and we can no longer do counseling as we might've before, and we're looking to do telehealth, supporting our population in some of the same ways that other clinics are using, it's not as feasible for us. Diane, expand on the challenge in actually getting the tests or testing the people who really need to be tested. Yeah, the only the only way that this is uh, feasible for this population really is to partner um, with the the community health partners that are there all the time, with the Michelles and the Vans of the world. And the reason that is is because it's really easy to test, but it's not easy to get the result and to then help the individual understand, so what do I do next? So as we engage in community testing in vulnerable populations, we always look to partner and look for what we call the medical home for individuals. Where are they gonna go? Because we'll come and go as a testing uh, function, but that's not ultimately what they need. They need the services that Van and Michelle can provide. Terry, how difficult, since things have been changing, I know just from a news perspective, things change every day for us. How difficult has it been to really form these partnerships when it seems like things are changing daily? Yeah, they they are changing daily. Um, You know, I think, um, you know, as long as we have a a base of mutual trust and and respect and, and, um, 
you know, willingness to, to partner and be responsive, we, um, we just build on that base. Um, but I, I really have felt like our community has just been remarkable and coming together. Um, rarely, I mean, rarely have we have been, um, refused an opportunity to partner. And in those cases, it may simply just because the resources weren't there. But um, I've just been really humbled over the past month with the way our community and the partners um, and everyone is really trying to be solution-based and step up um, to help where needed just across the entire uh, continuum. And, uh, you know, with um, our hospitals, for example, you know, um, as they were testing homeless patients and then they were needing to hold them till we got results back. And this is an area, um, as you asked, as things changed as at first it was 72 hours or, or could have been up to that length of time to get test results. And at that time initially, we were trying to hold our homeless individuals there at the hospital, which resulted in a lot of, um, of uh, dissatisfaction for them and an extended time to hold them um, and we had people leaving against medical advice and but working with our local health departments and obtaining um, isolation and quarantine um, solutions that's all evolved over these these weeks and uh, and we were able to make changes too for example we started getting um, appropriate meals um, to, uh, to offer to get them to stay even 24 hours as test time started to come down. We had an exception to our visitor policy so we could allow a companion that was familiar either to the person or at least with um, the population um, to stay with them. And so we've, you know, we've needed to be flexible and uh, to try to create solutions and think really outside our traditional methods. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. And you're listening to Healthy Mind Matters on KSL News Radio.